How about that? Hello. We're back again at the Gooseth. I'm back for another episode, and I'm very sorry about uh, last week's just trash episode. Like, I just had to find something to to put filler in there. I need to have a little bit of a, a chilled down week there. So, now that that's gone, I... that's really it. I uh, also in the news I am very sorry for anybody that has been affected by uh the like firstly uh and I'm pretty sure it was um Myanmar with the uh protests and stuff. Anything going on there my hearts go out to you as well as uh like with the shootings in America because those sadly are a common thing that happens there. I don't know why, but I my heart's go out to you if you, any if any of you are affected in any way. But now that that serious note is sort of off, uh, not much else really happened this week. Um, at least that I realize, except from those major events. Um, not much is happening up here, weather is going back to normal, and, uh, yeah, not much is really happening. So, let's, this, this will be our first murder, uh, like, first murder case thing, uh, on the podcast, is going to be H.H. Holmes. So, we are doing, like, that sort of thing. Like, just, just, like, the, uh, just murder from H.H. Holmes and who H.H. Holmes was. So, let's start at the very beginning. Holmes was was born as Herman Webster Muggett in, uh, Gilmanton, New Hampshire, United States, on May 16th, 1861, to Levy Horton Muggett and Theodate... Page Price, both of his parents, uh, both of whom were descended from the first English immigrants in the area. Mudgett was was his parents' third-born child. He had a older sister Ellen, an older brother Arthur, and a younger brother Henry, and a younger sister Mary. Holmes' father was from a farming family, and at times he worked as a farmer, trader, and house painter. His parents were devout, and at times his family were devout Methodists, later later attempting to fit Holmes into the patterns seen in modern Syria. Later attempts, attempts 
to fit Holmes into the pattern seen in modern ser- serial killers have described him torturing animals and suffering from abuse at the hands of a violent father. But contemporary and eyewitness accounts of his childhood, childhood do not provide proof of either. At the age of 16, Holmes graduated from Phillips Exeter, Exeter Fa- Academy and took teaching jobs in Gilmanton and later in nearby Alton. On, Janu- uh, on July 4th, 1878, he married Clara Leverington in Alton. Their son, Robert Lover- Lovering uh, Mugget, was born on February 3rd, 1880. In Loudoun, New Hampshire, as an adult, Robert became a certified public accountant and served as city manager of Orlando, Florida. Holmes enrolled in the University of Vermont in Burlington at age 18, but was dissatisfied with the school and later and left after one year. In in 1882, he entered the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery and graduated in June 1884 after passing his exams. While enrolled, he worked in the anatomy lab under Professor Herdman, eh. then the chief anatomy instructor Holmes had apprenticed in uh, New Hampshire under Nahum White. Um... Um, a noted advocate of human dissection was now him white. Uh, years later, when Holmes was suspected of murder and claimed to be nothing but an insurance fraudster, he admitted to using cadavers to defraud life insurance co- com- defraud life insurance companies several times in college. Housemates described Holmes as treating Clara violently, and in 1884, before his graduation, she moved back to New Hampshire and later wrote she knew little of him afterwards. After he moved to Moores Forks, New York, a rumor spread that Holmes had been seen with a little boy who later disappeared. Holmes claimed the boy went back to his home in Massachusetts. No investigation took place, and Holmes quickly left town. He later traveled to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and got got a job as a keeper at Norriston State Hospital. But after a few days, he later took a position at a drugstore in Philadelphia. But while he was working there, a boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store. Holmes denied any involvement in the child's death and immediately left the city, right before moving to Chicago. He changed, his, he changed his name to Henry Howard Holmes to avoid the possibility of being exposed by victims by, uh, of his previous scams. In his, uh, uh, in his confession after, the arrest, after his arrest, Holmes claimed he had killed his former medical school classmate, Robert Leacock, in 1886 for insurance money. Leacock, however, died in Watford, Ontario, in Canada, on October 5th, 1889. In late 1886, while still married to Clara, Holmes married Murda Belknap uh, in uh, October 86 in Pennsylvania, in... Oh, yeah, no. Uh, in Minnesota, Minap... 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 
uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He filed for a divorce from Clara a few weeks after marrying Murda, alleging infidelity on her part. The claims could not be proven, and the suit went nowhere. Surviving paper paperwork indicated she probably was never even informed on the suit, of the suit. In any case, the divorce was never finalized. It was dismissed June 4th, 1891, on the grounds of want of prosecution. Holmes had a daughter with Murda, Lucy Theodate Holmes, who was born on July 4th, 1889, in Englewood, Chicago, Illinois. As an adult, Lucy became a public school teacher. Holmes lived with Murda and Lucy in Wilmette, Illinois, and spent most of his time in Chicago tendering, tending to business. Uh, tending to business. Uh, Holmes married Georgia Yoke on January 17th, 1894, in Denver, Colorado, while still married to Clara and Murda, Arrived in Chicago in 1886, uh, like August of 1886, which is when he began using the name H.H. H. Holmes. He came across Elizabeth S. Holton Drugstore. Um, he came across Elizabeth Elizabeth S. S. Holton's Drugstore at the northwest corner of South Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Englewood. Holton gave Holmes a job, and he proved to be a hard-working employee, eventually buying the store. Although several books portray Holton's husband as an old man who quickly vanished along with his wife, wife Dr. Holton was a fellow Michigan alumnus. Only a few years older than Holmes, and both Holtons remained in Englewood throughout Holmes' life and survived well into the 20th century. It is a myth that they were killed by Holmes. Likewise, Holmes did not kill alleged, alleged quote-unquote, castle victim, Miss Katie Durkee, who turned out to be very much alive. Holmes purchased an empty lot across from a drugstore which, where construction began in 1887 for a two-story mixed-used mixed-use mixed building with apartments on the second floor and retail spaces including a new drugstore. A creditor of Holmes named John DeBrule died of APOPLEXY on April 17, 1891 in the drugstore. It is unknown if Holmes was involved with his demise on the 1st. When April when, when Holmes declined to pay the architects or the steel company, Aitna Iron and Steel, they they sued in 1888. In 1892, he added a third floor, telling investors and suppliers he intended to use it as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition. Through Though the hotel portion was never completed in 1892, the hotel was somewhat completed. Oh. Mm. Somewhat completed. Um. Where is it? Okay, so. In 1892, the hotel was somewhat completed with three stories and a basement. In 
The first floor was the storefront. The second story consisted of his elaborate torture rooms, which contained a chute, a chute that led to the ba basement. The third floor held more apartment, apartment rooms. There were soundproofed rooms and mazes of hallways, some of which seemed to go nowhere. Many of the rooms were, out, were outfitted with chutes that, could, that would drop straight down to the basement where homes had acid vats, quicklime, and a crematorium to dispose of his victims' bodies. Furniture suppliers found Holmes was hiding their materials, for which he had never paid, in hidden rooms and passages throughout the building. Their search, their search made the news, and investors for the planned hotel put out the uh, put out of the deal when a jeweler in the building showed them in the articles in 1894. Some police officers inspected the hotel while Holmes was out. During the inspection, they found rooms with hinged walls and false par partitions. Rooms linked with secret passageways and even airtight rooms that were connected to pipelines filled with gas, which Holmes used as gas chambers. Holmes would use chutes to deliver the bodies to the basement, and once there, he made use of surgical tables and an array of medical tools to dissect them before selling their organs and bones on the black market and to medical institutions. The hotel was gutted by a fire started by an unknown arsonist shortly after Holmes was arrested, but, but was largely rebuilt and used as a post office until 1938 because humans... One of Ho Holmes' early murder victims was his mistress, Julia Smythe. She was the wife of Ned uh, Isilius Connor, who had moved into Holmes' building and began working at, at his pharmacy's jewelry counter. After Connor found out about Smythe's affair with Holmes, he quit his job and moved away, leaving Smythe and her daughter Pearl behind. Smythe gained custody of Pearl and remained at the hotel, continuing her relationship with Holmes. Julia and Pearl disappeared on Christmas Eve of 1891, and Holmes later claimed she had died during an abortion, though what truly happened to the two was never confirmed. Another likely Holmes par paramour, Emmeline Sigrande, began working in the building on May 1892 and disappeared that December. Another woman had vanished. Edna Van Tassel is also believed to have uh, been among Holmes' victims. Holmes' usual, usual murder method was by suffocation of his victims, including an overdose of chloroform, overexposure to lighting gas fumes, um... Stuff like that, trapped in airless vaults to give some examples. Uh, Holmes also claimed to have used starvation and burning victims alive in his quote-unquote castle. <clears throat> April, April 12, 1896, newspaper. The New York Journal, showing at top the exterior and the interior of the Holmes quote-unquote castle. The bottom picture is the trunk he used to murder the Pietzel sisters while working in the chemical bank during the Dearborn Street. Holmes met and became close friends with Benjamin Pietzel, a carpenter with, with a criminal past who was exhibiting in the same building a coal bin he had invented. Holmes used Pietzel as his right-hand man. 
uh, for several criminal schemes. A district, a distinct, uh, a district attorney later described Pizzle as Holmes' tool, quote unquote. Oh no, dot dot dot, his creature. In early 1893, a one-time actress named Minnie Williams moved to Chicago. Holmes claimed to have met her in an employment office, though there were rumors he had met her in Boston years earlier. He offered her a job at the hotel as his personal stenographer, and she accepted. Holmes persuaded Williams to transfer the deed to her, no, to her property in Fort Worth, Worth, Texas, to a man named Alexander Bond, an alias of Holmes. In April 1893, Williams transferred the deed, with Holmes serving as a notary, a notary, uh, Holmes later signed the deed over to Pitzel, giving him the alias Benton T. Lyman. The next month, Holmes and Williams, presenting themselves as man and wife, rented an apartment in Chicago's Lincoln Park. Minnie's sister, Annie, came to visit, and in July, she wrote to her aunt that she planned to accompany, quote-unquote, Brother Harry to Europe. Neither Minnie nor Annie were seen alive after July 5th, 1893. Holmes had an entrepreneurial spirit based, based on his former medical education and his connections. He was able to sell skeletons to medical labs and schools. He and some time... He and sometimes a hired was able to sit to sell skeletons to medical labs and uh, wait, uh, he and sometimes a hired assistant were accused of stripping the flesh off the bodies, dissecting them, and preparing the viable skeletons. Just great. The rest of the remains would be tossed in pits of lime or acid, effectively breaking down the remaining evidence. With insurance companies pressing to prosecute home, homes for arson. Holmes left Chicago in July 1894. He reappeared in Fort Worth, where he had inherited property from the Williams sisters, um, located at the intersection of the modern-day Commerce Street and 2nd Street. In July 1894, Holmes was arrested and briefly jailed for the first time on the charge of selling mortgaged goods in St. Louis, Missouri. He was promptly bailed out, but while in jail, he had struck up a conversation with a convicted outlaw named named Marion Hegpeth, who was serving a 25-year sentence. Holmes had concocted a plan to swindle an insurance company out of $10,000 by taking out a policy on himself, then faking his death. Holmes promised Hedgepeth a $500 commission in exchange for the name of a lawyer who could be trusted. Holmes was directed to a young St. Louis attorney named Jephtha Ho. Howie. Howie? How? How? Uh, was in practice with his older brother, Alfinso Howe who had no involvement with Holmes or Pizzol or their fraudulent activities. Jephtha Howe, however, found Holmes' scheme brilliant, nevertheless. Holmes, nevertheless, Holmes' plan to fake his money, his own death, failed when the insurance company became suspicious and refused to pay Holmes. Uh, did, 
refused to pay. Holmes did not press the claim. Instead, he concocted a similar plan with Pietzel. Pietzel agreed to fake his own death so then his wife could collect a $10,000 life insurance policy, which she ha she was to split with Holmes and Jeff Howe. Uh, the scheme, which was to take place in Philadelphia, called for Pietzel to set himself up as an inventor on the name, under the name of B.F. Perry, and then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Holmes was, was to find an appropriate cadaver to play the role of Pietzel. Instead, Holmes killed, killed Pietzel by knocking him unconscious with chloroform, and setting his body on fire with the use of benzene. In his confession, Holmes imp implied Pietzel was forensic evidence. He used the chloroform... Uh, um, uh, Holmes implied Pietzel was still alive after he used the chloroform on him prior to being set on fire. However, forensic evidence presented at Holmes' lair trial showed chloroform had been administered after Pietzel's death, a fact which the insurance company was unaware of, presumably to fake suicide or ex exonerate. Um, Holmes should be charged with murder. Holmes collected to the... Mm, Holmes collected the insurance payout on the basis of the genuine, genuine Pietzel corpse. Holmes then went on to manipulate Pietzel's unsuspecting wife into allowing three of her five children, Alice, Nellie, and Howard, to be in his custody. custody. The eldest daughter and the baby remained with Mr. Mrs. Pietzel. Holmes and the three Pietzel children traveled throughout the northern United States and into Canada our place. Simultaneously, he escorted Miss Pietzel along the parallel route, all the while using various aliases and lying to Miss Pietzel concerning her husband's death, claiming Pietzel was hiding in London, as well as lying to her about the true whereabouts of her three missing children. In Detroit, just prior to entering Canada, they were only separated by a few blocks. In even more audacious move, Holmes was staying at another location with his wife, who was unaware of the whole affair. Holmes would later confess to murdering Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He, dr he drilled a hole on the lid of the truck and put one end of the hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate the, go the girls. Holmes buried their nude bodies in the cellar of his rental house at 16, 16th Street, Vincent Street, uh, in Toronto. This home and address no longer exist. St. Vincent, Vincent Street having long since been realigned into a part of Bay Street. Frank Geyer, a Philadelphia police detective assigned to investigate Holmes and find the three missing children, found the decomposed bodies of the two Pietzel girls in the cellar of the Toronto home. Detective Geyer wrote, The deeper we dug, the more horrible the, the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of the forearm of a human being. Geyer then went on to Indianapolis, where Holmes had rented a cottage. 
Holmes was reported to have visited a local pharmacy to per- purchase the drugs which he used to kill young Howard Pitzel, and a repair shop to sharpen the knives he used to chop up the body before he burned it. The boy's teeth and bits of the bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Holmes... Mm. Holmes' murder spree finally ended when he was arrested in Boston on uh, November 17th, 1894, after being tracked there from Philadelphia by the Pinkertons. He was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas, as authorities had become more suspicious at this point, and Holmes appeared poised to flee the country in the company of his unsuspecting third wife. Following the discovery of Alice and Nellie's bodies in July 1895, Chicago police and reporters became investigating home, began investigating homes, uh, building in Englewood, now locally referred to as the Castle. Though many sentinel claims were made, no evidence was found which could have convicted Holmes in Chicago. According to Selzer, okay. Uh, according to Selzer, um, where is it? Where is it? Uh, stories of torture equipment found in the building are twentieth-century fiction. In October eighteen ninety-five. Holmes was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Pietzel and was found guilty and sentenced to death. By then, it was obvious that he had uh, killed the three missing Pietzel kids. Following his conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago and Indianapolis and Toronto, though some persons he confessed to murdering were still alive, and six attempted murders. Holmes was paid $7,500 by the Hearst newspapers in exchange for his confession, which was quickly found to be mostly nonsense. Holmes gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence and later that he was possessed by Satan. His propensity for lying has made it difficult for researchers to... uh, Ascertain the truth on the basis of his statements. While writing his confessions in prison, Holmes mentioned how drastically his facial appearance had changed during his imprisonment. He described him his new grim appearance as gruesome and taking a satanical cast, and wrote he was now convinced that after everything he had done, he is beginning to resemble the devil. On May 7th, 1896, Holmes was hanged at Myomasing Prison. Uh, Myomasing Prison. Also known as the Philadelphia County Prison for the murder of Pietzel. Until the moment of his death, Holmes remained calm and amiable, showing very few signs of fear, anxiety, or depression. Despite this, he asked for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried ten feet deep. Because he was concerned grave robbers would steal his body and use it for dissection. Holmes' neck did not snap. Instead, he strangled to death slowly, twitching for over 15 minutes before being pronounced dead. 
Wow. 20 20 minutes after the trap had been sprung upon his execution, Holmes' body was interned in an unmarked grave at Holy Cross Cemetery, a Catholic cemetery in the Philadelphia western suburb of Yeadon, Pennsylvania. On New Year's Eve 1909, Hedgepath, who had been pardoned for informing on Holmes, was shot and killed by police officer Edward Jarabek during a holdup at the Chicago Saloon. On March 7, 1914, the Chicago Turbine Tribune uh, reported with the death of Patrick Quinlan, um, the former caretaker of the castle, the mysteries of Holmes Castle would remain unexplained. Quinlan had committed suicide, taking stretching uh, his body was found in his bedroom with a note that read, I couldn't sleep. Quinlan's surviving relatives claimed he could, he had been haunted for, quote-unquote, for several months and suffering from hallucinations. The castle itself was mysteriously gutted by fire in August 1895, according to the newspaper clipping from the New York Times. Two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m., about half an hour later, they were seen exiting the, ba- the building and ru- rapidly running away, following several explosions. The castle went up in flames. Afterwards, the investigators found a half-empty gas can underneath the back steps of the building. The building survived the fire and remained in use until it was torn down in eight- 1938. The site is occupied by the Englewood branch of the United States Postal Service. In 2017, amid allegations, Holmes had, in fact, escaped execution. Holmes' body was exhumed for testing, led by Janet Mong, for the University of Pennsylvania Museum of Archaeology and Anthropology. Due to his coffin being contained in cement, his body was found to not have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfect, perfectly preserved, and his mustache, mustache was found to be intact. The body was positively identified by his teeth as being that of Holmes. Holmes was then reburied. So, that was the tale of H.H. Holmes. Good luck sleeping. Um, sorry if that uh, triggered anybody, but uh, you knew that I, I said that this was a murder episode. So, well, that's sort of on your part, but I'm not gonna say anything like that so yeah that's been today the hh holmes case lots of death insane amounts of death and then at the end more death so honestly overall i think this was a pretty decent episode a lot better than last week so have a good day it's been the gooseth goodbye